Hi friends, and welcome to the third episode of the Wincast. This one is called From There to Here. Now, before we get started, there are a few things from the last episode that I need to discuss. First, if you have listened to the last episode, there are no detours, or the last two episodes for that matter. Thank you. Thank you for walking with me in this podcast experiment. I have received a tremendous amount of feedback from many of you, and subsequently a great number of conversations have followed. Secondly, I found a technological glitch in the second episode. I won't lie, this was extremely frustrating to discover. If you don't know this about me, then maybe you will find it humorous to learn that I have a tendency to be a perfectionist, but only every now and then, now and again. I proof every Wincast episode at least twice before exporting the media file, and I promise there was no glitch, but somehow, in the export process from Ableton to my MacBook, and possibly during the upload process from my MacBook to the streaming services website, something funky happened, as is typical of technology every now and again. Thus, we were left together to hear a strange in-and-out audio glitch during an important part of my story. And now, it's out there forever. For those of you who are wondering, the professor's name that was blurred during the glitch, his name is Jim Beck. Jim is the professor who began to shift my heart in many ways that has now led me to where I'm at here in Malawi. So thanks, Jim. I wanted to make sure to give the people what they want. And what they want, I'm so positive, is the name of the person who is credited for my worldview reorientation process. <laughs> but moving on. Generally speaking, the last episode was a very brief synopsis of the past uh, 12-ish years of my life. There are many places, events, friends, and mentors that were not specifically named or described, nor the details of their formative presence in my life. But I think those details deserve an episode all on its own. So make sure to stay tuned for more. Also, for those of you who are very concerned with correct information sourcing, like myself, then you should know that I made a mistake in the last episode. Specifically, I cited a quote while connecting it to the wrong name. I used the name Henry Thurman instead of Howard Thurman. This is a minor infraction, to be sure, and definitely it was not intentional. I promise. But to honor Howard Thurman and the quote itself, I must repeat it. Plus, it really is such a fantastic line. So, here it is. Do not ask what the world needs. Ask what makes you come alive and go do it. Because what the world needs is people who have come alive. Hmm. I feel like people really need to hear that. I need to really hear that. In fact, you probably can't hear it enough. So let us absorb it together one more time, just a bit more slowly and with a few minor additions of my own. Here we go. Do not ask what the world needs, because you know, the world needs a lot of things and surely no person, not me, not you, no one can meet them all. Instead, consider asking yourself, what makes me come alive? 
If you know what that is, then go do it. Because what the world needs more than anything, I suspect, is people who have come alive. <sighs> mm, wow. Doesn't that just feel good to hear? Isn't that just so inspiring? If something is stirring deep within your heart when you hear that, I encourage you to lean into it, to discern it, and see where it goes. Our mutual friend Howard, not Henry to be sure, might be speaking to you. So thanks, Howard. Speaking of what makes us come alive, let's dive into the episode for today. From there to here. I believe I promised all of you in the previous episode that this episode would elaborate on all things Malawi. Well, if that's what brings you here, welcome. And if not, welcome all the more. This episode is for you. But first, some context, because if you know me, you know I love giving context. It's really difficult for me to tell a story without the context. So, before we get to Malawi, here's maybe some repetitive things, but not all repetitive of what happened. As I mentioned in the last episode, it all started with a conversation in Brahms, which if you're listening to this and you don't know what Brahms is, it's a chain ice cream shop that is based in Oklahoma, or at least that's where the farm is. I grew up with it in Amarillo, but when I was in Lubbock, there were like six that opened within a span of two months and the lines were crazy in the streets. It was a really uh, cultural thing and everyone was very attracted to it. Anyways, it's Brahms as a great restaurant. Shout out to Brahms. Great milkshakes, highly recommend if you're ever in the Oklahoma area, West Texas area. Uh, I'm sure there are in other places, but those are the two areas I know of and it's fantastic. So, you know, go to Brahms. It's, it, I can't highly recommend it enough. So. Anyways, this conversation happened at Brahms. As I mentioned in the last episode, I was trying to discern how to step back into vocational ministry. So I was calling a couple of friends, mentors, just asking if they knew of any opportunities that I could maybe apply for. And if they heard of anything to just let me know so that I could go ahead and start that process. And within, I mean, I had, I started this these conversations in a time frame of maybe two days and on the second day I called one of my former professors from Lubbock Christian and within eight hours of calling him on the second day he gives me a call and he says hey Jonathan I have a really interesting situation would you be interested in meeting us at Brahms I have a person I think you would really like to meet and so I was like, oh, okay, well, that's uh, very mysterious, but sure, yeah, I would love to get a milkshake and go and have this conversation. And so I joined uh, this professor. His name is Sean Tyler. Uh, shout out to Sean, if you're listening. And he introduced me to a man named Cameron. And Cameron was the, U the United States director, I believe that's his title, of this mission organization called Nami Congo, and I think I also mentioned the last episode, that's where he kind of gave me the pitch, and the stars were aligning, just like in the Hercules movie, except in this case, I realized after recording in the last episode, the stars align, and then that's like when the titans get set free, and then chaos ensues, 
this was a different kind of stars aligning. Um, it was very much a stars aligning in a very good way. Cameron made this pitch and he said, you know, we're looking with somebody with ministry experience, which I had, someone with a theological education, which check, I also have, and particularly someone who has work in the co worked in the coffee industry and triple check, have all of that experience as I explained in the last episode. So after checking all these boxes, it just, it was weird. Sean even told me, and I agreed with them, that when he met with Cameron for this random meeting and Cameron told him of the needs that Nami Congo was having, Sean just, you know, he said, uh, yeah, I think he said, you know, the hair stood up on his skin and uh, I, I, I agree. It started to happen to me in the midst of this conversation. Sean and I were just kind of making eyes with each other, like going, no way is this happening. And I just spoke with you eight hours ago. And wow, here we are. So call it whatever you want. Call it fate. Call it divine intervention. Call it harmony in the stars aligning, whatever. It seemed like the shoe was really fitting and that this was a door that was opening in a very positive way. So after talking with Cameron, he gave me more information. He gave my name to the directors at Nami Congo. And at the time, uh, the three directors, uh, Ben Hayes, who is the executive director, Ryan Hayes, who is the community development director, and Eric Gephardt, who is the education director, they got my name, they got my information, and that is what started this whole interview process. You know, it started with conversations and, uh, you know, I say conversations. I mean, they were conversations, but they, they were also interviews. You know, they're gauging me, I'm gauging them. Is this a good fit kind of thing? Do we align in a lot of different things, personality, theological views, those kinds of things. And I guess, you know, they liked me well enough where conversations moved forward and I had to have an interview with the board of directors. This is about a month later from all of this is happening. And I have an interview with the board of directors and it's just a very small world. I was, at the time when I had this interview, I was about to live with, but not currently, but one of my really good friends, his name is Luke Shelburne, shout out to Luke. And his father and his grandfather on the board of directors. And Luke is in like my, primary friend group back in Lubbock and it was just so funny. I was like, oh, weird, Shelburne. And uh, do you guys happen to know a guy named Luke? And they're like, oh, yes, he's my son or my grandson. Crazy, crazy small world that just happens within the LCU world. But I had an interview with a board of directors. It went well, or at least I think it went well, well enough to where they decided to push me forward into the next phase of the interview process, which they decided as a board a couple months previously that if they were to bring on any more teammates to Nami Congo, that they would have to go through a sending organization called CMFI or Christian Missionary Fellowship International. Oh, are you guys hearing that? I think that is the sound of the mosque. It's a call to prayer. How fun, if you guys can hear that. I hope it's not too disturbing, but in a weird way, um, it's actually very beautiful whenever it happens. Uh, so I hope you enjoy it as much as I do. Anyways, I'm getting distracted. So I had this interview with the board of directors and for Nami Congo, and they say, well, we decided you need to go through this, uh, essentially this sending organization that will prepare you to get to the field in Malawi.
and I was like, okay, well, that's y'all's, yeah, y'all's decision, y'all's organization, sure. So this process uh, took a pretty long time, I'm not going to lie, and I wasn't too excited to begin with, but it turned out to be a very good thing. CMF, again, stands for Christian Missionary Fellowship International, and I will just, from now on, just say CMF uh, for short. So, but you know what that means now. So I start this application process with CMF and I have initial conversations. And again, while all these conversations and interviews are happening, I'm still working for the organization I told you about in the last episode, Beatonbow Homes. So I got my headphones in and I am mudding walls. I'm painting, I'm caulking around, you know, the trim. I'm doing all sorts of things while my headphones are plugged in and I'm having phone conversations. Uh, this entire time with people because I can't speak on video otherwise I wouldn't be able to do my job and so I'm having these interviews I'm having these conversations with all of these people and again with CMFI it starts with initial conversations I think it was the first conversation with was with the mobilization director shout out to Jake and then I had an interview with a church catalyst director I believe he's the assistant church catalyst director with CMF and shout out to Greg and uh, then I had a general app after, you know, I think after they both liked me or, you know, thought that they liked me, they hadn't met me yet except over a conversation, they moved me forward and I could fill out the general application for CMF. You know, it's kind of like your typical job application. You have to list your experiences, put your resume in, answer some questions and, you know, put some references down. But what's interesting about, you know, Christian organizations and just ministry in general, most of the time when you're applying, there is typically a theological or biblical questionnaire that accompanies the applications. And if you've ever been in this position, (laughs) this is where a lot of anxiety can (laughs) occur because man, I mean, you know, some questions just seem to be framed in certain ways and you're nervous to answer because you don't want to answer wrong or at least what you feel might they might receive as wrong, you know? So, and, you know, a lot of things can be very subjective on your views and what they're looking for. Anyways, it can be a real source of complication and uh, maybe fear or anxiety. And so I... You know, I filled out the application, I did this theological questionnaire, and I passed. So, whoo, we made it. And then after that, there is a psychological exam. So they mailed me a packet from a licensed professional counselor. I had to, it was like a 500 plus question exam. I had to bubble in all my answers. I had to send it in by mail. I had to pass that. And then after that exam, he sent it to another licensed professional counselor who works with CMF. And then I had to have a whole separate interview process with her based on the results of my psychological exam. And I think, you know, I might be missing some details, but it, it was a long process. It took a couple months to get all this stuff filled out. And I think after these conversations and these steps, I finally was accepted into CMF. And I was invited to join, you know, there's a little bit of haste uh, with this entire thing, by the way. So all of these, uh, this entire thing with NAMI Congo started in June and they were needing me there as soon as possible. They were hoping I could get there initially by like December 
I think was the initial conversation that was far too soon. And, you know, then we were thinking early February, but that was still too soon, at least for me. And then anyway, so I was invited to launch in mid-October, I believe. And it was very, again, very quick setup launch. It was like, um, I can't remember what we called it. We called it just, it was, it was like a, you know, um, anything can happen program you know they usually have launch programs with cmf and they're supposed to be four days and a little bit more put together but for me and my friend heather shout out to heather who went through this entire process together it was like a very condensed version of this launch slash training program and initiation into cmf and uh that is not meant to signify anything negative with cmf i think it was just a crazy schedule and you know we're coming off the edge of covid and you know, just a lot of craziness going on. And so me and Heather, uh, this other friend that I made who is, uh, she's actually looking to leave the country in August and go to Egypt, but that's a whole nother story. And we go through this launch training program with CMF. And that is when we start really getting to know the heart of the organization. We meet the care team, shout out to Julie, who leads the care team. We met with the accounting team and shout out to Doug, who leads that team. We met with the marketing team, shout out to Dan, who leads that head, and then the Church Catalyst team, which there's a lot of other teams, but my employment is through the Church Catalyst team, so shout out to David, who is my other boss. I think I have I have like two bosses, uh, one with CMF, one with Nami Congo with CMF. David David Giles is the, is the man, and um, he likes the Red Hot Chili Peppers just like I do, so if you know David, give him a shout out. Anyways, we meet the entire CMF team and we start to learn about what it is a sending organization is about, what they do, how they do it, all the ins and outs, how they support the international workers, the missionaries in the field. And there's a lot of different sending organizations. <laughs> there are a lot of different sending organizations out there, all with different traditions all with different ways of conducting missional practices so I won't go into all of that but the more and more that Heather and I were being trained I think at least I'll speak for myself the more and more I was like you know this is actually a really cool thing to have people that are supporting you in so many different ways people that are on your side if you need anything you know, the, the biggest thing I perceive from CMF is they don't just want to get you over there just to do work. They want to make sure that you are healthy before you leave. Well, as healthy as you possibly can before you enter into a international context in which all of your current stresses are going to be magnified and you're likely to explode if you don't know about it. So there's a lot of self-awareness training. There's a lot of assigned readings there. You know, they just want to make sure that you are in the healthiest state that you can be before going and working in a context that is likely going to be very stressful for you and will be very stressful for the people working in the field. And then not only that, they want to make sure that while you're in the field that you are taken care of and that there are people dedicated to your care and to your needs. That could be financial, that could be marketing, that could be any of those other teams I just mentioned. And that is really cool to have people in your corner. Now, some people might be like, well, that's not my experience with sending organizations. There's too much red tape. And, you know, when you're raising money, they get part of your funds. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I tell you what, 
in my experience, I am more than willing to give whatever percentage it is that I give of my funds that I'm raising to them because I have a team that if I need anything, they're an email or a phone call away. And that feels really good when you are working in the field and often you can feel alone. All of this being said, I go through launch and the next two priorities that I have are building a contact list. So many of you received a text message from me asking for your physical address, your email address, your phone numbers, all that jazz. If that was annoying, I apologize. But I had to build this master contact list. And then, of course, after that was done, I started the process of support raising, which if you're not aware or you haven't had anybody ask you for support, I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> Regardless of what they train you to say, or you know, this might not sound like the most professional thing, it it's awkward, okay? It really is awkward asking other people for money. There is a very full and healthy way to understand it as ministry is partnership, and we can't do this without each other. That's all good and done, and I believe all of those things. It's great, but that doesn't make it any less awkward or weird, especially initially when you're asking people to invest in you. I mean, that's what you're doing. You're asking people to invest in you and in the work that you'll be doing. And of course, in partnership with God and all those other things, right? Like, but it's still weird. It's still hard. And there's just something, you know, we're not, you know, we're not used to asking, you know, uh, and money is already a weird and touchy subject in most of relationships, especially for us Western people. We don't really bring financial concerns into our friendships or relationships. It's just money. Money can be a weird thing to talk about. And when you're asking people for it, regardless of how well you make the pitch, it can feel a little weird. And I think that's just honest, right? But we did it and we went through it and I met with many of you and I asked you for support and you know, in the support raising process, as awkward as I felt about asking people to support me in the ministry I was trying to you know, get to here in Malawi, I discovered along the way it really was a beautiful process, just how grateful and thankful I am because I know so many great people and many of you are who are listening to these podcasts that's you i'm talking about you because i rarely out of all the meetings that i've had i rarely got told no on almost all of the people that i met with are supporting me and that you have no idea how good it feels for people to believe in you like that and for people to believe in what you are capable of doing and in your skills and and having faith that their investment in you is going to be a blessing to other people and it's going to participate with what God is doing over here and has been doing over here since before I even got here, right? It's not like I brought God with me. It's like God has been working in so many amazing ways in Malawi ever since, you know, Malawi was a country, but even before then, you know, since the dawn of time, since people lived here, God has been here and moving and breathing and working and I get to join in that and that is entirely because of your support and your encouragement financially and prayerfully, of course. So if you are one of my partners, thank you. I can't express my gratitude enough. Anyways, moving forward. We made the contact list we made the support raising list and then that was between late october to gosh I'm trying to think i think i think it was 
October, November, December, January, February, March. So five to six months of support raising. And I mean, I was grinding. Again, I was working at Beaten Bow. I was having these conversations after work, meeting with people, scheduling and rescheduling support raising meetings. And finally, uh, with a lot of people who started supporting me, and then of course, uh, with the generosity of both CMF and NAMI Congo, I was able to get the funds uh, raised for at least a year living here in Malawi. And that's that's what the people, that's what the team needed here at NAMI Congo. And I raised the money and we were able to go ahead and buy plane tickets and you know, all. It was crazy. So once the money was raised and we were like, all right, we need to press the send button. I, you know, we bought plane tickets and I, I put in my two weeks with Beaten Bow Homes. And that was really hard because again, I can't express how grateful I am to the company that is Beaten Bow Homes. They took really good care of me in the year that I was there. I had amazing bosses, amazing coworkers. And, you know, every job is stressful for this and that other reason, but Beaten Bow, man, you guys do an amazing job at creating a company culture and making people want to get involved and you treat your employees so well and so very thankful to all of you. And, you know, so I put my two weeks into Beaten Bow. It's difficult because at this time I had already sold my car. I was driving a company car. I wasn't having to pay for gas. <laughs> I wasn't having to pay for insurance. I wasn't having to pay for my cell phone because Beaten Bow was taking care of all of those things. So when my last day at Beaten Bow came to an end, I had to forfeit my car. Not my car, I had to forfeit the company's car. I had to forfeit my company cell phone. And so I borrowed a bike from one of my coworkers, actually shout out to Zeke, who let me borrow his bike for a couple months as I was in the last stages of transitioning. And transitioning, that is a whole nother thing like, now things are starting to get really real. I've just quit my job, which, you know, I'm not gonna go crazy. <laughs> like, you know, the financial part isn't important, but I was making the best money that I've ever made in my life. And that was amazing. And I took a drastic paycheck cut to, you know, typical ministry position, right? Uh, you don't do it for the money. And, uh, but it was still hard. And so took a pay cut and you know, this, it started, things start getting really real and, you know, I'm still scheduling and rescheduling support raising meetings. I'm trying to accomplish various assigned readings still with CMF and other assigned tasks. I've got to buy new luggage. I've got all of this visa preparation stuff I've got to do. I've got to create a power of attorney. You know, there's the TSA pre-check, pre-check setup kind of thing. There's registering, registering with the travel, registering, gosh, I can't speak English now. Registi registering your travel with the U.S. Embassy. Wow, that took me way too long to say. Then there's like creating a new bank account, which I guess I didn't have to do, but you know, one of the funny international things is uh, some bank accounts, they'll charge you an arm and a leg every time you need to make a withdrawal from the ATM, which you make withdrawals a lot. And so I changed my banks because, you know, I needed to, because I was gonna be wasting a lot of money pulling out money. So I was like, nah, let's, let's change. So, you know, nothing against you, Lubbock National. You served me well for such a long time, but, uh, you know, ended up switching. 
banks for that. And then, of course, I, well, not of course, you know, I had one credit card, but I decided, eh, this, I'm going to be traveling a lot. Let's get a credit card that has travel benefits. So I was like, you know, scratch that. I got a different credit card. That was a whole setup. You know, I'm packing and I'm trying to discern, well, what goes with me and what stays here and, you know, finding a storage shed and getting movers to move everything. And, you know, there's just a lot. And for those of you that have been through this process, you're like, yeah, we know it's crazy. So, you know, I relate now. It's it's a very, you know, it's a stressful thing. And what's crazy is I am single. I'm not married. I have no family. I cannot imagine the process that others go through, you know, specifically those of you who are married and have kids and have gone through this. I mean, <laughs> I, I can't imagine the stress of trying to take care of multiple people. I could barely take care of it by just me going. And then, of course, the hardest thing about the whole about the whole thing, and I mentioned this at length in my last episode, is saying goodbye to those closest to you, friends and family, and making that time to transition well and be at peace with as much as you can be at peace with leaving and then finally we get on the plane we take off and of course there's luggage issues not major luggage issues but you know uh, I packed my life into three of my own suitcases and then I had a bunch of other things that I was taking over across the world for NAMI Congo, which was fine. I, you know, I wanted to do that and to help out as much as I could. But when you are traveling uh, and you have seven to eight bags of luggage, that's hard to carry. And especially I had to travel to Chicago and I had to stay the night. So I had to uncheck all of my luggage, go to my hotel and recheck it in the next morning with the airlines. That was a whole mess. And I thank you to the random person outside the airport in Chicago, the O'Hare International Airport, who was like, do you know where you're going? Do you know what you need? Because I had no idea, and she was so kind, and she just helped carry some of my stuff, because uh, it was all piled on the luggage cart, and it was falling off. It was a crazy, crazy thing. And so thank you, lady, whoever you are. I know you're probably not listening, but, you know, you're being acknowledged. And so we made it to the hotel, and the hotel was great. Uh, I met some new friends from Wisconsin and uh, they were going to vacation in New York and the bartender was really great I spent some time there reading and eating food and everything and man (laughs) it was it was fun we had a good time and uh, finally I wake up the next morning I get all the luggage checked into Ethiopian Airlines and I'm able to kind of take a breath for the first time and just stop. And I know once I've checked the luggage in, all I have to do is get out on the other side. And hopefully all the luggage will be there. But there's literally nothing in my control anymore. So I just have to let it go and just arrive. And that's what happened. I took the flight. And kind of where I left off in the last episode... I land in Malawi and my transition, I really can't express my gratitude for uh, Ben and Becca Hayes and their family. I mean, they, they made my transition so gentle and peaceful and I'm so thankful for them. I stayed in their guest house for the first two weeks. I began visiting 
with Nami Congo, and I can't even begin to tell all of you, <laughs> this is not a normal organization. So for those of you who don't know, so now, so I'm employed by this sending organization called CMF, which I've talked at length about already, but it's a secundant relationship, which secundant is like a fancy word for partner relationship. It's a it's a secundant relationship with this organization called NAMI Congo here in Malawi, and there's a relationship again between CMFI and NAMI Congo, and I have, I think I told you, I've been to Kenya. I think I said this in my last trial. Yeah, in my last episode. I, I've been to Kenya before. I've been to Tanzania. I've worked in different nonprofit organizations. I have interviewed and talked with many missionaries that are doing all sorts of amazing things in the world. And this is something entirely different. And what I mean by that, it is this is a very large operation happening here in Zomba or Tondwe, Malawi. Nami Congo is not just an organization that is doing a particular thing. In fact, it's a thing that's doing many particular things. Uh, for example, uh, they have a women's development program. They have a coffee roaster and coffee farm. They have a discipleship training institute, DTI for short, where people apply. It's almost like a college curriculum, but it's not quite fully accredited, at least not at this point, but it's essentially like a college program where for three years students come to apply and learn and they take classes and once they finish the program they are given a leadership certificate from NAMI Congo and they go back to their homes, to their congregations, and they minister to the people that they, you know, live with and have lived with for their entire lives. There's a village savings and loans program. There is a conservation agriculture program. And again, Nami Congo started as a Bible school and a majority of its uh, origin and throughout the 60 years that this organization has been in existence has focused on leadership maturation. And the second largest and oldest uh, organization uh, or I should say program that they have is the medical clinic. They have a maternity clinic. They have an HIV and AIDS program within the clinic. They have an outpatient center. They have a pharmacy. And I mean, this, this ministry alone, it's tied with the government, which is an amazing thing. That's, that's what you want. You want things to be sustainable outside of what the program is being funded. So this, is, this whole clinic is tied to the government. And it's amazing, and it's serving hundreds of people, if not thousands, a month. I mean, so many people are blessed by this every single day. And this campus where all of this is... Oh, I forgot to mention, there's... I don't know if this is really a program, but there's a, there's, there's a person. His name is uh, Samuel Tambala. He's one of my coworkers, and I had a meeting with him this last week. And he runs a section of... I, I don't even really remember what it's but he's essentially in charge and deals with uh church slash village conflict navigation all throughout malawi and if you don't know this Nami congo is affiliated or is connected with over two thousand congregations here in malawi that is a lot of conflict as you can probably imagine and i'm meeting 
all of these people, there's over 80 people total employed by NAMI Congo, and close to 20 of those 80 people are officers or leaders or managers or administrators, directors. And so I've spent the last three weeks meeting the people who are running this place. And I'm not done. I still have four meetings left next next week before I'm finished with all my rounds of just meeting the people that are running this. And all of them, besides a few of the directors, are Malawian. And a lot of the organizational stuff that has happened has happened in this past year. It's just a fantastic thing. And it's a massive, massive program. And it's beautiful to see. And then, of course, beside, and oh, I forgot to mention, I mean, Nami Congo, they have a beautiful campus, 90-acre campus. So, like, and there's a road that goes through it. So, I mean, this campus is littered with people and activity pretty much every day. Uh, they have a soccer field that they just built last year, lots of community activity, people coming in and out and being, I mean, just again, a beautiful, beautiful thing to see so many people interacting with it at so many different levels. So this is all going on in the last couple weeks. And plus on the second week, I get my car. Uh, <laughs> And that is really interesting. I have never driven in another country before, but on the second week that I got here, I got my vehicle and I drove in Africa. And for those of you who don't know, um, it's kind of just chaos here. You know, there's not a whole lot of road signs and it's a walking culture. So, you know, when you drive an hour and a half out somewhere, you pretty much see people at all times on the road, carrying something, riding their bikes. It's kind of insane. Like my car doesn't even have cruise control, but even if it did, I would probably never use it just because you're kind of just always on edge driving. Anything can pop out in the road at any time. And so you just got to be consistently aware while driving and, you know, uh, toned way. I live in Zomba. I think I mentioned that in the last episode and Nami Congo, its campus is in a place called Tondway. It's about a 15 to 20 minute drive, maybe more, just depends on traffic. And driving is just kind of madness, I feel, you know, <laughs> this is an exaggeration, but it's like Mad Max, you know, and uh, there's lots of things and you gotta avoid a lot of things and it's just really interesting. And you couple traffic pressure, learning driving on the left side of the road and the blinkers being on the right side instead of the left side. and the wheel being on the, or sorry i think i flip everything is on the right side you drive on the left side but the wheel is on the right side the blinker system is on the right side everything is just opposite so that was fun and then there's the additional pressure of trying to learn another language which here for those of you that don't know the language is chichewa and it is just so completely foreign <laughs> so you know i'm like a baby i've got to learn a new system of communication and I've been trying my best to be very diligent and studying every day and I've been meeting with people and uh, I've been taking lessons and you know it's it's just crazy trying to learn another language but it's really fun too and when you it's really fun when you start speaking and greeting even just basics you know uh, the people really appreciate it and they smile and they laugh but it's not a laugh like they're making fun of you it's like oh man this person is actually trying, you know, and that's that's really fun to see. And I feel like a wizard. Now, 
I say that because I have been reading so much. I have assigned readings with CMF. I have assigned readings when I got here to Nami Congo. And plus, I am beginning to prepare the DT, DTI classes. Uh, for those of you who don't remember, DTI stands for Discipleship Training Initiative or Institute. And I will be teaching two classes this upcoming semester. One class is Early Christian History. The next is over Paul's epistles, and I'm really excited about teaching these classes, but that means I've got to prepare the classes, and it's like I've got to prepare essentially an entire syllabus and assignments and a grading scale and, you know, content, and I've already, for one of the classes, uh, the, the previous, I'll call it a semester, the previous semester just ended this past Friday, and so I had assigned reading already given to them before they come to the first class, and I told them there was going to be a quiz and everything, and you know, uh, and there will be, but I don't know how they are, <laughs> how they feel about that. But uh, you know, I've already given homework, and their class hasn't even started. And uh, you know, there's other life things, right? I'm learning how to adjust in a new place, a new city. Uh, after two weeks of living, living with the Hayes, I moved into this house, this beautiful, beautiful, large house that's not mine. But I'm watching it for some Canadian ministers and missionaries, and they went on furlough for six months. So I am watching their large, beautiful home that has like one of the most beautiful views in Zomba. I mean, their patio is just incredible. That's where I'm sitting right now talking to you. The sun, I've been as I've been recording this, the sun has completely set. It is almost six o'clock and... <laughs> It's, on, it's completely dark here and the patio lights came on and I mean just one of the most gorgeous gorgeous views and I am so spoiled and it's gonna really really be a horrible thing after six months when they return not that them returning is bad but it's gonna be horrible for me because man again very spoiled and this is not the norm for an incoming missionary an incoming minister to experience so I'm just having to soak it all up I'm having to absorb it and you know I, I am. The sunrises are just, whew, it is, it is something else. It really is. Um, yeah, so I'm adjusting to life. I'm adjusting to living life on my own, which we'll talk about that more later. And, uh, you know, I, this past weekend, last weekend, I was in the village. I went and stayed in a village, and you can imagine all of the good things that were experienced there, but also all it, it was a lot of culture all at once. And I was by myself and there was a lot of things that were stretching me. I definitely felt a lot of stress and for a lot of reasons, but at the end it turned out to be a beautiful experience. I walked away very humbled <laughs> and I walked away with a gift. Uh, you won't imagine what I was given my first village stay. Uh, I was gifted with a chicken, a live chicken. Now, I've never been given a chicken, and uh, it, I was honored, you know, and that's what I told them, and I was serious. I was like, oh my goodness, uh, here's a chicken, and they just handed it to me with its legs bound, so I held the chicken, and uh, it was it was a great experience, but wow, so much culture, and you can believe that I was absolutely exhausted after that weekend, and... Uh, you know, today even, just again, settling in, you know, I have bill issues. Uh, so to make a long story short, I was, I spent two hours going back and forth, um, you know, 
I was purchased I purchased credits for the water usage for the house that I'm staying in and they sent me a token to put into the machine so I can get more water but the tokens aren't working so I'm going back and forth so I go and visit the main office today this morning and you know they're like well we want to inspect it but we have no drivers so can you drive one of our workers to your house so he can inspect it and drive them back so I'm like okay sure yeah why not so uh I meet this guy and his name is Titus uh and it was very strong name Titus uh not Titus like it was T-Y-T-U-S Titus and uh or Titus yeah you know one of the two I think it was Titus T-Y-T-U-S or O-S but nonetheless I drove this worker from the water board administration here in Malawi to the house that I'm staying at to inspect and back in any ways I spent it's just a Malawian thing it's kind of like a generalized African thing you know not sometimes things just you have to go back and forth and I went from one office to the next office they said you should go to them and they turned around and said well you should go to them and you know just back and forth back and forth and it was fun and tomorrow I plan on going to Blantyre which is where I flew into when I arrived at the airport here in Malawi it's a city called Blantyre I was picked up by the Hazes and they drove me an hour north to Zomba, which is where I'm now living, and I'll be, I think, going back tomorrow morning. Uh, I'm going to visit a church there, and I was invited to play Ultimate Frisbee with a group of friends, or I don't know a lot of them, but I was invited to go and play. They have a club, and so that will be fun for those of you that know me well i haven't I, I love ultimate frisbee and i haven't been able to play ultimate in a very long time so i'm super excited and they do this regularly so we'll see if i can make it a habit but gas is pretty expensive here and to drive back and forth that would just be insane but you know <laughs> there's just a lot uh, that has happened in this last month and now i find myself here at a table overlooking, well, now it's a dark valley and I can see all the lights that are on and I can hear the horns. I, I'm sure you just heard that. There's horns in the background and dogs barking and insects chirping and I'm here with you now at different times. Uh, you know, my now is going to be different from your now when you listen to this, but your now and my now are going to be experienced at the same time whenever you decide to listen to this, and that's just fun to think about, right? <laughs> and that, my friends, as best as I can describe it in maybe a good summarized fashion, is the journey that I've been undergoing for the past year. From Texas to Malawi, from there to here. Here is the most important place we find ourselves. In this moment, in this moment, and wait for it, this moment too. On and on, these moments come and then they go. You see, in nearly every religion, of the world. There are typically, in some contemplative or mystical branch within the specific tradition, 
that emphasizes the work of becoming aware and fully present to the exact moment in which we find ourselves. In the Jesus tradition, some of the most formative spiritual teachings have come from and have been carried throughout the centuries by our numerous monastic brothers and sisters, and of course, scripture. Becoming more fully attentive to the here rather than lingering in the there is, without any doubt, a difficult task for anyone to master, if that is even possible. As humans, we like to spend most of our time and focus and energy in the realm of the there, frantically consumed by what was and consistently worried about what is to come, rather than paying close attention to what is now in this moment the deepest desires and feelings that we carry in our hearts. Stillness scares us, because if we are still for too long, we are soon haunted by the emotions and events that we have either repressed or suppressed. Eventually, I think, silence becomes the thing we fear most, or at least something we dread and tend to avoid. As I mentioned earlier, over the past two weeks, when I moved out away from the Hayes family and moving into this house, I have been living in an unusual and abnormal, abnormal rhythms of silence. Not of my choosing necessarily, of course, but these are what the current circumstances have permitted. I have been uncovering the dusty boxes packed and hidden within the storage of my heart. You see, I spend a lot of time talking to myself, <laughs> mostly in third person, and trying to make myself laugh. And if people were to see a recording, they might think I was going crazy. I spend a lot of time alone, living in this house that is much too big for a single person, and I imagine what it would be like to share it with a family of my own and sometimes even with the friends and the family that I left behind. I've been forced unexpectedly to sit with the sound of silence. <laughs> I'm sorry, I said silence, and I feel like I really had to be quiet for a second, but being forced to sit in the sound of silence naturally I have been allowed to spend much more time in the here rather than there. I mean, I knew theoretically that living alone would happen before I moved here to Malawi, but it is different when it actually happens. And of course, my mind spends time wandering back and forth, back and forth between the there, reflecting on my past and potential future, but in recent weeks, more than ever before, I find myself observing, observing the now, this moment, the here. One of my favorite thinkers, I mentioned him in the last episode, shared once that the greatest gift you can give someone is the gift of your own health. For all of us, I think personal health begins, or at least is very close to beginning, with learning how to be here. 
I spoke about this briefly in the first episode when making the comparison between anxious Martha and centered Mary, found within the Gospel of Luke. At least that's where the story is found. You see, this Jesus tradition that I keep mentioning has come alive within me more in the past month than ever before. It's becoming more enfleshed. Especially the contemplative and mystical streams that flow throughout this tradition. And I'm not entirely sure why. I've been thinking about it. I've been practicing things and I've developed new habits, new rhythms. I'm, you know, a much I'm waking up very early and you know, there's all sorts of other things that I've changed in my daily routine since I moved here. But I have a lot more listening to do. Oddly enough, it's as if I needed to physically move away from what was known to what is unknown, from there to here, to create space and distance myself from there, where I have spent most of my life, in order to finally see and interact with the here that is within myself. And I would argue that is within all of us. However, this process for all of us, I imagine, but speaking strictly for myself, learning to move from there to here also comes with a cost. You see, when we take steps in this direction, we risk. We risk, again, what is known, maybe beliefs that we have held tightly for our entire lives. We risk what is comfortable, but possibly comforts that might have become shackles over time. We risk losing unhealthy, addictive, and simultaneously attractive habits. And most of the unhealthy and addictive habits are very attractive. We, we risk losing relationships, even if those relationships are toxic. We risk, we leap, we wrestle, we trust. This is the process of faith, right? This is what faith is, I think. Certainly, faith cannot be founded on certainty. Now, that is a fun paradox to consider. You see, St. John Newman says, and I paraphrase, to love is to change, and to love perfectly is to change many times. Maybe it is time for a change, whenever and wherever you might find yourself. I think it was a time of change for me moving to Malawi. It was in many ways unexpected, but I think deep down I knew that something, something needed to shift. Change is certainly a part of the travel between there to here. We go into darkness, but then discover that beyond ourselves, deep within, there is something larger, something that connects us to everything and everyone. Perhaps it can be described as a light or, you know, a light that is maybe hidden deep beneath. Maybe it's new life or a breath of fresh air. Maybe you can call it hope. Something that is orchestrating the whole thing, like music that we can tune into and eventually 
pick up our instrument and begin to play along. The question is, can you hear it? I think this is what it means to participate with the divine, with what my tradition calls the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Maybe, according to our friend Howard, that we mentioned earlier, this journey from there to here is part of what it means for us to come alive, to sit, to listen, to be transformed, to change, and eventually to join the dance, to accept being found and receive the invitation to the party, to the joy that is happening all around us. I have a long walk ahead of me, and I have much more to learn, and I imagine I will for the rest of my life, and I think I want it to be like that. I think if I ever came to the conclusion that I knew everything, life would just get extremely boring, and I would probably just become extremely cynical. I'm okay with thinking that I don't know everything, and there is always more to learn. And maybe you find yourself in a similar space. Maybe we can walk together and learn along the way, sharing our experiences, encouraging one another, empowering and inviting friends and foes alike along the way. Maybe in your attempt to let the silence teach you if this is something you choose to pursue, You know, if you attempt to let the silence teach you, as it is teaching me, that in your journey from there to here, you can trust that you're not alone. You can trust that you belong. You can trust that you have value, intrinsic, deep value, simply because you exist. <laughs> that itself is a gift that the invitation has been extended to you. You can trust that there has been something given, but it hasn't just been extended to you. It's, uh, it's been extended to everyone else. So there are no favorites here. <laughs> you can trust that there is something larger in the universe that you and I are a part of, something beautiful beyond imagining. So may you, my brothers and sisters, risk coming alive, even if it's at a cost. May you accept being found. May you no longer fear silence, but allow it to become a teacher. May you accept the endless invitation into joy. May you hear the music and join the dance. May you trust and join in moving from there to here. And may grace and peace be with you every step of the way.